Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on ChristianFocus.com and Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. All right, you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, we'll start in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, and one of the prophets, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, uh, we're going to look right now at just going a little bit deeper. I made the point, I think, in the very first lesson about the importance of dialogue, asking questions in your discipleship, and I just want to kind of double-click on that, talk more specifically about what that means and how to do it well. The first, really, half of Jesus' ministry with the 12 apostles, it was almost like he was really trying to make one point really, 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 really clear, and it was that he was the Messiah, that he was fulfilling the prophecies, that he was the chosen one, the anointed one. And so it's like he's taking kind of a midway break and he says, I want to stop, I want to ask, who do you guys really believe them in? He's testing them in a sense to see if they've gotten it right. Um, There's an old English Puritan named Arthur Hildersham and he was commenting really on Deuteronomy 6 where it talks about discipling your children. But he says, you must test them to understand uh, what they hear. And so basically, you... There's this famous quote, I may find it and read it before we're done, where um, another Puritan, um, uh, he wrote the book, uh, the Reformed pastor, Richard Baxter, who who was one of the greatest authors and preachers of the Puritans. And basically, when he came to the village that he was going to be the pastor for, there were very few believers there. And by the time he died, almost every family had professed faith in Christ. But part of what he did is, he would call it catechizing, but what he meant is once or twice a year, he would go to every single home and he would sit down with the family and he would ask them questions just to make sure they understood the basics of the faith. And again, this is one of the greatest preachers of all the Puritans, of all history, really, I think you could say. But he said this, there are some men that have sat under my preaching every single Sunday, right? I mean, people didn't have lake houses as much back then. They didn't travel and miss Sundays. 20 years Every single Sunday. And yet when I ask them basic questions about things like justification by faith, they can't get it right. They don't know the answer. Most people don't really grow, don't really learn just sitting and listening like this. Obviously, this is part of it. They hear, okay, they might even remember. But for it to really make sense, for it to click, for it to go deep, it become applicable to their lives. A lot of times there has to be conversation. There has to be asking questions, making sure they're really understanding. So one of the things that I would recommend in your discipleship group is every semester you ought to have one major goal. You can have multiple goals, but I'm just telling you from doing this for a long time, if you have like one major goal, like I really want my disciples to learn how to pray this semester. I really want my disciples to learn how to share their faith this semester. I really want my disciples to grow in their understanding of the character of God or something like that. Now, again, I'm not saying you can't have more than one goals, but have one goal that's like the main goal. 
that you're really drilling down on. And you make sure you're always talking about that. You're reading books about that. You're doing Bible study about that. When you get together, you're talking about that. You're modeling that. You're asking questions about that to drill down deep so it's repetitive. Okay? And ask questions. Don't just assume they're picking up on it. Okay? Jesus was great at that. He's asking questions. But then next we're going to see he's going to kind of move into a little time of instruction. There is a place for teaching. Whether it's upfront teaching, big groups, small groups, one-on-one, there is a place for instruction. Please don't hear me saying I'm anti-instruction. So look at how Jesus does this, starting in verse 17. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, I don't, you know, this is a very controversial, deep passage. I don't want to get off trying to explain the whole thing, but here's the bottom line. It, most likely, here's what it means, that Peter, you're going to be the first stone. You're not the only stone. You're not the pope. You're not the primary stone. You're just the first stone. You're going to be the first one to preach the gospel in the new kingdom when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Okay? You're, you're going to be the leader among peers here. But to all the apostles and all the church leaders, I'm giving the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And there's a great uh, commentator on Matthew named R.T. France. And he says, this is really more about guidance than it is about authority. That the more we understand the gospel and the more that we're out there explaining the gospel to people, if somebody says, yes, I really understand and believe the gospel that you're preaching, there's, we have a right to say, well, then you're in Christ. And if we're an elder of a church, we have a right to say, Welcome to our church. Become a member of our church. We, we get guidance to understand that. Whereas in the same sense as we're out there preaching the gospel, talking the gospel, dialoguing the gospel, and people are saying, I don't really understand what you're saying. Or I do understand it and I don't like it or I don't agree with it. Or I do agree with it, but I don't believe it personally. I'm not going to surrender to Christ. We have the authority from the guidance the Holy Spirit's given us. Well, then you're not a Christian if you don't believe this gospel. And you shouldn't be a member of a church. Does that make sense? Okay. So... There's an important place for teaching because I don't think they would have figured that out just through modeling. There's a time where you have to teach some stuff. Okay. Now, um, he starts to teach this, and then he moves in. It's kind of like, okay, part one of my ministry was to convince you guys I'm the Christ. seems like that's happened. I'm very excited. He, he's encouraging them, right, praising them. He says, let's go ahead and move to part two of our ministry. Verse 20. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples. So this is kind of like their second semester together, so to speak. Show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So there's a lot of teaching here. Okay, um, So I don't think the best discipleship groups are you showing up and saying, everybody open their Bibles to Romans 1 and I'm going to instruct you now. Whether you got 2 or 12, I don't think that's the best type of discipleship. Even if you have the gift of teaching. Okay? I think I had the gift of teaching, and I basically never do my discipleship groups like that. I want it to be much more dialoguing, interacting. But remember what we said, again, in the very first lesson, use the movement. Use the local church. Bring them to Bible studies, to churches, to meetings where they can get upfront teaching. But the discipleship group, guys, for a lot of them, that will be the only time they have to discuss deep spiritual things. Unfortunately, most of them are probably not doing that in their free time in their dorm room. A small handful of them may be, but not most of them. So you need to be having these times, asking them, what are you learning? What do you remember? Did you understand that? How would you say it in your own words? How's that going in your life? Helping them apply. And then, guys, just know, if you do that, at some point, you're going to have to move to the third point, 
which is rebuking. Because what you're going to do is you're going to surface things that they don't really believe what they say they believe. Okay, verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Right? I mean, in some sense, that's an oxymoron. No, Lord, you're wrong, Lord. Shouldn't work that way. But Peter was very quick to say that. Now, let's just pause for a second. Why do you think Peter was so quick? He's just praised, I really believe you're the Christ. But let me give you one instruction. Virtually every devout Jew living during this time, they were looking for the Messiah. And what did they think the Messiah was going to be like? What did they kind of have in their mind? What was this Messiah going to be like? A war hero. A war hero. He was going to be, you know, uh, a Jewish William Wallace come to set his people free. He was going to be a David part two. A killer of giants. Wipe out the Roman Empire. And so Peter, I think you're David part two. Which in one sense Jesus is. He will come back in judgment the second time. But the first time he came in mercy. And Peter's like, he's like, you're right, Peter. And you're going to be, you know, my leader, this thing. Peter's probably thinking, prime minister. Sounds pretty nice. He's probably already got visions in his head of him and Jesus sitting on thrones next to each other, right? And then Jesus says, let me tell you, no, 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 I'm not thinking about a throne as much as I'm thinking about a cross. And Peter says, no, 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 just come here, Jesus. Let me pull you aside. I don't want to embarrass you in front of the other 11 guys. But let me, let me help you out here a little bit. Don't think so badly about yourself. And it's almost like this mental image of Peter trying to kind of bring Jesus over to the side and whisper a little bit, and then Jesus intentionally kind of talking loudly, get behind me, Satan. You're just ruining all of Peter's pride. Um, what's going on here? Jesus is wise enough to know that even when we're having real knowledge, real insight, real growth, that a lot of times, this is true of us guys, and it's certainly true of the people we're discipling, they're usually not near as far along as we really think they are. Right. I mean, I bet right now, if, if, if I came up with, let's just let's talk about the topic of prayer. If I said, I'm going to come up with a, a test with right and wrong answers from the Bible on prayer, and I passed it out. I bet most of y'all would all get A's. Maybe some of you get A pluses. But then I said, now we're going to have another test about what your actual prayer life looks like. Maybe not quite so many people get A's, right? There, there, there's this gap a lot of times between intellectually assenting to something, and yet really believing. I mean, I, guys, I had an experience a couple of years ago, and I'm, I bet a lot of y'all have as well, where, again, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Take this guy to lunch. I start to share the gospel. He's like, oh, I'm definitely a Christian. I've been a Christian since I was a kid. You know, he gets, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm a 10. I know for sure I'm going to heaven. Jesus died for my sins. You know, it's not by works. But as I just keep starting to ask him more follow-up questions, a little bit later, he comes up and says, well, i got to be honest. I, uh, I hope that it's not true that Jesus will really forgive any sin of anybody that repents. I'm like, why is that? Well, I had a dad who was a terrible man, an abusive man. And now he says he became a Christian. But I don't want him to go to heaven. I want him to go to hell. And so then as I started asking more questions, he's like, yeah, I'm not even sure I really believe in this stuff. You know, if it, maybe, maybe I'd say 30% sure that there's a Jesus and a heaven and forgiveness. Five minutes ago, he's given me all the right answers. Because that's what you do in the Southeast, right? But it takes time to press in, to ask questions, and to try to expose where is there a gap between what they say they believe and what they actually have a heart understanding and surrender to. 
And then, in loving ways, okay, probably don't call anybody Satan this week on the campus, okay? That was Jesus. He, he knows when it's the right time to do that. But probably in the right ways, we've got to learn how to press back and rebuke and correct people. Again, that's not fun because partially it can, it can cost us relationally, right? We can have, have to sacrifice some of our cool points and some of our uh, comfortability when that happens. But it's worth it if you really want to grow people. Again, you don't have to be a jerk about it, but there's a right, loving way to say, I'm not sure what you just said is technically true. And let's look at that together. Now, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Okay. Now, what was going on with Peter? I mean, why would Peter, in one sense, so quickly get the right answer and get praised by Jesus, and then literally a matter of minutes later be trying to correct Jesus and get rebuked? He wasn't setting his mind on the truth. He, he was being rationally lazy. He wasn't thinking out the implication. Right? If you really think through this is the Messiah, then you don't correct him. But we all have places and gaps in our lives, guys. We say, yes, I believe this, but then we live like we don't really believe it. We've got to see those areas in our lives and repent of them because the better we get at identifying those things in our own lives and repenting of it, the better we'll become experts in identifying it in the students' lives or the staff that we lead or whoever and being able to point out the gap. But if you're blind to it in your own life, you're going to be blind to it in other people's lives. And your, your discipleship will be pretty surface level. Listen, you can le- read a lot of big, long books by J.I. Packer and John Owen and all sorts of people, right? And talk about a lot of deep stuff and see very little life change. If you're not taking the time to see the gaps, to ask about it, and then be willing to instruct and lovingly rebuke when it's there, okay? Um, Jesus says, you really want to save your life, Peter? Because that's what he's after. I don't want to die. That sounds terrible. I mean, I I get what you're saying. If you're going to go to a cross, I'm going to probably end up on a cross too, which he was. And he's like, that's not the Messiah I'm signing up for. But Jesus says, you really want to save your life in the long run? You've got to be willing to lose it in the long run. Our discipleship. You really want to save your disciples, see them sanctified and matured in the long run? You've got to be willing to lose them in the long run. I mean, lose them in the short run. I mean, why sometimes are we so reluctant to have the hard conversations with our disciples that we know we need to have? We don't want the relational sacrifice. Like, it'll cost me. I like this person. I think these people like me. If I push too hard, if I rebuke too hard, if I correct too much, maybe they bail out on me. And then what have I got left? Listen, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. There's a ditch where if you're showing up to every discipleship group, it's like, I've got one piece of encouragement for y'all, and then I've got seven corrections. And that happens every week. You're not going to have a discipleship group very long, and you shouldn't have a discipleship group very long. You need to be heavy on the encouragement and light on the rebuking. But there is a time and place where you have to lovingly expose people. You give me all the right answers. I mean, again, and I used this example yesterday with one young man. Again, it was a man that I had a long relationship with, but I was able to say, there's nothing scandalous in your life, but you don't seem passionate for Christ. You don't seem sold out. You don't seem like you're really doing all things for his glory. And we've got to be willing to go there with people sometimes. I'll tell you about another conversation I have with somebody, 
college guy one time, and uh, it, it, similar type of situation. I was just saying, something seems off. Again, you, you just seem like you're kind of doing the bare minimum going through the motions. You're not, you say you believe all this, but you don't seem like you're really living like you believe it all. And I, so I asked him this question. I said, you know, uh, when you read through the Gospels, uh, when Jesus interacted with the Sumerian woman, he asked her about basically her love life, her romantic life. Go call your husband, right? He never talked to her about money. But when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, he talked to him about his money. Go sell everything you have. He never talked to him about his sex life. I said, so if Jesus came in this restaurant right now and sat down, what would he ask you about? And this guy's like, I don't know. I said, I'll take your best guess. That's, that's a good little, I got that from a counseling professor, but that's a great little disciple to them. People say, I don't know. I'll take your best guess. And then this guy had another dodge. He said, I don't know. Probably a lot of little things. And again, again, I've got a long relationship with this guy. I just kind of looked at him and I just started shaking my head. I said, in my experience, it's never a lot of little things. It's always one big thing. And he hung his head. And he kind of looked back. He said, you're right. There is one big thing. He said, but I ain't telling you. I said, okay, that's fine. You don't have to tell me. You better tell somebody, though. Because it'll eat you up inside. Now, I realized when I was having that conversation, this might be the last conversation with this person for a long time, right? Because <laughs> they're going to be like, I don't like this kind of directness. I don't like this kind of pressing. I like the more lighthearted stuff, right? I like, like, hey, what stood out to you in the book this week? Oh, I thought this was a very interesting quote, right? That's safe and easy. You, you start putting your finger down into my soul, and I don't want any of that. But here's the thing, guys. And this, this is a good litmus test for own soul. Am I doing this for my own comfort? Am I doing this for my own name and fame? And look at my big D group and they all say nice things about me. Or am I doing this for the glory of Jesus? Then I will be willing and able to push and ask the hard questions and even rebuke and correct when I need to in a kind, loving spirit. Okay. Um, and when that seems hard, when it seems like it costs too much relationally, just remember all that Christ sacrificed for you relationally. He was willing to hang on the cross and say, my God, my God. He didn't feel like he could call him Father in that moment because the relationship was so split. Why hast thou forsaken me? And if he could go through that relational suffering for me, I can go through the small relational suffering of having some hard, awkward conversations to try to grow people up in the faith. And, and here's the thing, guys. Most of the time when I've had those hard conversations, a lot of times there is relational suffering in the short run. There's some awkwardness. There's some coldness. There's some distance. But a lot of times, those people come back around, and they're all the more committed to me, which doesn't really matter. Much more important, they're all the more committed to Jesus in the long run. Thank you for having that hard conversation. Thank you for asking me the hard thing. Thank you for pushing into awkwardness. Lord, please hear our prayers. Please give us wisdom where we need to grow, change, and adapt in our discipleship. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. 
We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.